Well, it's great to uh, be here with you um, and talk about this topic, Bigger Than the Bunny. Uh, I've got three kids, two boys and a girl, and recently they ate a little lint uh, chocolate bunny, just like this one here. Um, my parents are in Sydney, and so they're the grandparents to my kids, and when they come down, uh, my mum has got it all sorted out about how my kids will remember the grandparents who live in another city. And the answer is chocolate and sweets. And so whenever they come down, my mum just spoils them like crazy. And so recently they were down, and of course, being Easter time, out came the chocolate and the little bunnies like this, and my kids loved it. Um, they, as soon as they saw the chocolate and the bunny, they went wide-eyed. Uh, you could see kind of the, the pupils dilate as they wanted to get to that chocolate, and um, they just think my mum is the best. Only a couple of days later, uh, we were at Southland, and we were walking through, and uh, we passed one of the supermarkets there, and we looked in, and on top of one of the aisles, right on top of it, was a massive lint bunny. It was an inflatable one, and I kid you not, it was bigger than this room. Maybe not quite as long, but it was taller than the room. It was huge. And again, my kids just wide-eyed as they saw this massive version of what they had eaten, and they just wanted to race in there. And I was telling them, guys, it's inflatable. It's just... It's full of air. I can see, you know, the ropes holding it on. And they would not accept it. They were saying, no, Dad, it might be chocolate. It could be chocolate. And they were kind of dragging me in there to maybe get that bunny. What could be bigger than that bunny? Well, if we're just talking about size, maybe not much. Uh, that was a pretty big bunny. But this is what I want to think with you about this afternoon, bigger than the bunny. And uh, if you've got an outline there, I've got four points You'll have to excuse me. This is my strange sense of humour. The four points are wide-eyed. We've done that already. That's my kids. And then wide-eye, wide-eye, and wide-eye. So that's very clear, I'm sure. Uh, despite those strange headings of the points, I hope that as we work through them, that will help us go to the heart of this time of the year that we call Easter. To be honest with you, I, I could take or leave the actual word and the name Easter. That's not a word that we have in our Bibles. I'm not too fussed about that. What is important, though, are the events that go on at this time of year that we remember. That's Jesus dying on the cross and also Jesus rising again, his resurrection, coming back to life, which Beth shared about. These are the super important events. And that's why I want to talk to you about because they really are bigger than the bunny far more important too. To understand why those events of almost 2,000 years ago are so important, I want us to go to our second point and reflect on the kind of people that we are. And Beth very helpfully has already shared quite honestly about where she's been in her life. If we think about your life or my life, honestly, I think we're a real mixture, aren't we? We're a real mixture. There are times when we say and we do wonderful things. We do. Uh, there's a, a natural disaster, say, like the floods we've had up in Queensland or some sort of earthquake overseas, and suddenly something wells up in us and we give and we give generously. Or some, a friend of ours needs help, and even though it might inconvenience, we're in a rush, we've got an assignment due, we need to be somewhere, we stop and we help them out. 
Or we take the time to be with someone that we know is going through a really rough patch. Human beings can be great. Sometimes. But at other times, we're the complete opposite, aren't we? If we're honest with ourselves, we have all said and done things that we are not proud of. And if suddenly it came up on the screen here and everybody sitting around you knew some of the things you'd said or you'd done, you'd, you'd probably curl up into a little ball or, or run out the door. We've all said and done things and, and even as the words are leaving our mouth, we're thinking, oh man, why did I say that? Why did I do that? It's like the silly bloke who doesn't have his thinking cap on who uh, meets a, a woman for the first time and he happens to look down at her belly and says, when's the big day, you know, when, when are you due? And then there's that awful, painful silence and finally, you know, and the clogs, cogs kind of tick away and he realises, oh no, she's not pregnant and you just want to crawl away under a rock and die somewhere. And some of these mistakes that we make, some of them are short-lived or a little bit funny in retrospect, not too painful, maybe harmless. But some of the other stuff that goes on in this world is a lot more serious, isn't it? This is what Beth was struggling with about the world. Some stuff is not too funny in retrospect. Some stuff isn't temporary. It isn't transient. In fact, the scars can last a lifetime. And if you had your time again... I bet there are things you would do different. And so would I. These moments when we step wrong, either accidentally or sometimes on purpose, and we hurt someone else or they hurt us, uh, if you were going to use a word from the Bible, you would call them sins. Now, the Bible's super unpopular at the moment, so maybe you don't like that word. That's fine. But whether you use the word or not, those things, those moments, those events, when we're hurt or we hurt someone else, they're still there. They're real. And the Bible says not only are they real and are they a problem, the Bible even says that God's angry about them. Now, let me be clear. He's not angry because God's the kind of God who just makes all these arbitrary rules uh, waiting for you to kind of trip up and, and, and cross over the line so that he can kind of go, gotcha. Right? It's not like Singapore where, for some reason, uh, chewing gum is illegal. Uh, I, too, have put my hand under a desk and discovered a ball of chewing gum there. And Yes, it's disgusting, but I'm not sure we need a law about it uh, saying that it should be illegal. That seems, to me anyway, uh, just a, a little bit over the top. God's not like that. He's not making a whole list of rules that he just kind of dreamed up and gotcha when you kind of cross the line. God is upset because he has made a world and he's filled this world with people who he made and who he loves. And what he wants is for us to be looking out for one another and, and helping each other, loving each other. And when we damage ourselves or we damage someone else or we damage the environment even, this upsets God. It's a problem. He's angry. And so this leads to two problems. We have a problem, and you might be surprised to know even God has a problem. The problem that we've got is that we have done these missteps. We have sinned. And God is angry. That's a problem, to have the God of the universe upset with us. But God also has a problem. See, on the one hand, God is very upset about our sin. It matters when we hurt one another. 
And yet at the same time, he made us. He loves us. He wants things to go well for us. And if you think that it's impossible to be angry at somebody uh, at the same moment that you love them, I can testify as a parent, no, no, these two emotions go together quite frequently. In fact, often the reason I'm angry at my kids is precisely because I love them, right? When my kids race out on a street without looking left and right, uh, if I didn't love them, I'd say, whatever, go for your life. But because I do love them, I crack it. I, I get upset and I pull them back to safety and then I'm in their face. Why are you doing that? Why are you running out without looking? You're going to get squashed. God is really upset about a lot of the things that we say and do and think, the way we treat other people, and yet at the same time, he loves us hugely. He doesn't want to be angry. He would much rather a happier course of events and a good relationship with us. So what to do? Well then, let's get to the heart of the matter. Point number three, why die? Why did Jesus die? This famous event at Easter time. It's a big question, actually. Why did Jesus die? In fact, there's a man called John Piper who's written a book called, I think it's coming up on the screen, 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. Can you imagine trying to go through all of those? But it shows you this is a big topic. Uh, I'm not going to try and go through 50 reasons. Uh, There are lots. We could talk about historical and political and cultural reasons why Jesus died. We could talk about the fact that Uh, Palestine was an occupied territory at the time by the Roman Empire. Uh, I could tell you about the local governor, Pontius Pilate, and the fact that he had had many riots and uprisings already and was desperate to avoid another riot. Uh, We could talk about the jealousy uh, of the Jewish religious leaders of the time and the way they were jealous when Jesus was drawing a bigger crowd. But far more interesting and and far more insightful, I think, are the spiritual reasons why Jesus died. This is how Jesus sees his own death, in fact. Remember, two problems. We have a problem. We have sinned and God is upset. But also God has a problem. He wants and needs to take our sins seriously. And yet he loves us. Why is Jesus' death bigger than the bunny? Because... Jesus' death fixes these two problems, fixes them both. That's why he died, to fix those problems. And so I'm going to read those uh, stories that Evangeline read for us again. And I want, as I read, I want you to notice who's innocent and who's guilty. Luke, uh, this is a biography of Jesus written by Luke, chapter 23, sentence 13. It's in your handout. Pilate, the governor, called together the chief priests, the leaders and the people and said to them, you've brought me this man as one who misleads the people, but in fact, after examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with the things you accuse him of. Neither has Herod, because he sent him back to us. Clearly, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. Then they all cried out together, take this man away. Release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for a rebellion that had taken place in the city and for murder. 
wanting to release Jesus, Pilate addressed them again. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What has this man done wrong? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And their voices won out. And so Pilate decided to grant their demand and release the one they had been asking for who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. It's clear, isn't it? You read through. Who's innocent? Jesus is innocent. Pilate agrees. Herod agrees. He's standing there as the governor saying, I've examined the man. The charges just do not rack up. He is innocent of the charges. He ought to be released. And yet justice is not done, is it? The innocent man is condemned. And Barabbas, well, it's clear he's guilty. He's already in jail for a rebellion and for murder. And yet in a twist of injustice, Jesus, the innocent one, is condemned and on death row. And Barabbas, who is a murderer, is set free to to just go and walk around the city. What is going on? Later in the same chapter, there's another episode when Jesus is actually executed. And you see the same kind of thing. Look again. Who's innocent? Who's guilty? Verse 32. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they're doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God? Since you're undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we are getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The same things are emphasised, aren't they? Who's innocent? Jesus being executed unjustly. Even the other criminals can say, this man has done nothing wrong. And yet here he is being put to death. And who's guilty? These criminals, they even confess it from their own mouths. We're just getting our just desserts. This is fair enough for the things that we have done but not for Jesus. And so once again, you see the innocent man being condemned. The guilty, well, that second criminal is interesting, isn't he? He's 
he's suffering, he's dying on the cross, and yet when he asks Jesus, remember me, Jesus doesn't say, no way, you're a criminal. Jesus says, yes, today you will be with me in paradise. You, you will be in heaven with me, even though you're a criminal. And so the innocent man is condemned. Somehow this criminal is going to be going to heaven. He's, it's like he's forgiven, he's set free. What's going on? There's a swap. This is right at the heart of Easter. There is an extraordinary swap going on. The innocent for the guilty. Jesus for Barabbas. Jesus for this other criminal on the cross. Let me try and give you a modern illustration. Uh, Let's imagine uh, that I'm driving and I'm giving Pete up the back there a lift somewhere. He's sitting innocent in the uh, passenger seat there, but not me. Uh, The testosterone's pumping. I've wound my window down and I just want speed. So off I go racing down Burwood Highway. Uh, But unfortunately, the police car sees me. Woo! And uh, the policewoman, she gets me to pull over to the side. I do. She comes up to my window says, you've been speeding, you were way over the limit, and uh, you need to pay $400. This is, the, this is the fine. I pull out my wallet, university staff worker, there's no money in there, and so I just, I just can't pay this thing. And I think about my bank account, I know there's no money there either. I'm in a real trouble, right? I'm going to lose my license. And then somehow, Pete, he, he has money, and, and he's my friend, and so he leans over and says, Dan, don't worry. Uh, even though I wasn't the one with my foot on the accelerator, I like you, uh, I'm going I'm to pay this fine. And so he hands over the $400. Can you imagine? It stretches the imagination, but maybe you can imagine such a scene. That would really help me out. That would mean my penalty was paid. And what's more, if I see that same policewoman the next day, she can't get angry and upset with me Because even though I did the wrong thing, the price has been paid, right? The fine has been paid by Pete. There's a swap going on. Pete didn't do anything wrong. He's innocent. And yet he's paying the penalty. I was the one who made a mistake, but the bill is too high. I can't pay. But Pete's come to my rescue. That's something, something like what Jesus is doing when he dies on the cross for us. And if you understand that, you'll understand how... These two problems are fixed by these great events at Easter. Our problem is fixed, right? Because when Jesus dies on the cross, he pays that penalty. If you like, he pays the fine. He pays for our sins. And that means God is no longer angry with us because the price has been paid. We can have a good relationship again. And God's problem is also fixed. He's a just God, a holy God, so he could never just sweep our sins under the carpet or pretend that they don't matter. They do matter. But now he has been able to treat sin seriously. It has been punished in Jesus, which means that his love can triumph. He can forgive us. Things can go well for us. He can accept us again. And so this offer of forgiveness or freedom or entering into God's paradise. It's not just for a Barabbas or for a criminal on a cross. The message of Easter is it's for all of us, any of us who will come to Jesus. This is an open offer. And this is wonderfully good news. You know, in the Easter break, right, what we call the Friday, we call it Good Friday. I remember many years ago now, must be 
almost 15 years ago, uh, driving in a car on a Good Friday. I was on my way to church and have the service there. And as I was driving, I had the radio on and the DJ had invited a minister of a church to come in and talk, I don't know, religion and Easter and things on the radio. And so I was listening to this as I drove. And uh, at one point, the DJ asked the minister, hey, I wonder if you can help me out with this question. Uh, I don't really get why you Christians call the day Good Friday. Because, I mean, this is the day when the, you know, the founder of your religion was executed. Surely it's a bad Friday or a bloody Friday. Why Good Friday? And then the minister answered, and I almost drove my car off the road. Because, he said, "Uh, You know, I think I used to know the answer to that question when I was back at Bible college, but I've forgotten now. I wanted to reach through the radio and throttle the so-called minister. It was awful. But you've sat here for 20 minutes hearing me speak. I hope and I think that any of you could explain to that minister why Christians would call this a Good Friday. Christians call it a Good Friday because this is the day when our sins and God's anger were dealt with, were taken away. This is the day, yes, our Saviour died, but he died for us. And we have found it, like Beth has, to be life-changing, absolutely life-changing. That's how I found it when I was your age, 19, and came to Jesus in my second year of uni. It is life-changing. So are these events bigger than the bunny? Friends, they're not even in the same league, right? Let's think about Easter for a moment. If we take Jesus and put him to the side, let's think about Easter minus Jesus, right? What have you got? You've got a long weekend. That's good. I like holidays as much as the next person. I believe for you guys at Deacon, your long weekend is not four days, but even five, I'm told. That's, wow, that's crazy. You guys like a holiday. Uh, so a holiday's nice and you can go and do something uh, fun. I wonder if any of you can remember one year ago what you did on the Easter Monday. I can't. I'm sure it was good. I'm sure it was fun. But one year later, I have no idea what I did. Woohoo, long weekend. But as Aussies, we've got truckloads of long weekends, do we not? (laughs) Hardly life changing. What else have you got at Easter if you don't have Jesus? At Easter, you've got, okay, long weekend, you've got chocolate, we've got eggs, we've got bunnies, yay! Hardly life-changing. Very transient, isn't it? Very temporary. What do they say? A moment on the lips and a lifetime on the hips? Not really life-changing. Or if it is life-changing, it's life kind of damaging, life-changing in the wrong direction. Long weekend... Chocolate eggs, bunnies, and on the other hand, you have Jesus who was willing to come and die in your place so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be accepted and be in paradise with God beyond the grave. Bigger than the bunny? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Which brings us to our final point. Why die? Why would you die? For your sins? Why would you have to face God's punishment, God's anger? 
This is a genuine question that I want you to wrestle with. Uh, There's a verse from a different part of the Bible. It's not on your outlines, but it'll be coming up here on the screen. And uh, the Bible has an old part and a new part. This verse is taken from the old part. It's a book called Ezekiel, uh, chapter 18. And in verses 31 and 32, God says this to his people, Israel. He says, why should you die, house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in anyone's death. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So repent and live. Now these verses were speaking to Israel centuries and centuries before Jesus was even born. And you need to be careful about pulling parts of the Bible right out of context and just kind of saying, oh, this is about you today, right? You've got to be careful with that. Uh, but trust me, in this case, and you can go read the whole chapter later if you want to, what God's saying there, the vibe of that, is still very much true today. This is still the case. God takes no pleasure in judgment, in anger, in the death of anyone. And so he asked Israel back then, and he asks us at Easter time, 2017, why die? And that's a question I encourage you to wrestle with and come up with an answer to. You have sinned. You have taken multiple turns off the path. And God is upset about that. I'm not trying to take the moral high ground here. I've done exactly the same thing. This is a problem. God is angry when we hurt others and when they hurt us. But God also loves you because you too are one of his. And God has gone to great lengths, even the sending of his own son, and who would die on a cross, very painfully, I might add, to take that swap, to die in your place. So why die? In the passage there on the screen, God calls on the people to repent. This is a fancy biblical word that basically means do a 180, right? If you're someone who's not, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You're not following Jesus. So you're going in a certain direction right now. God is saying 180. Turn it around. Stop going that direction and come back to God. He says repent and live. This is the way to life. There is no reason why anyone in this room when you eventually die and you meet your maker, should have to face a God who is angry, face judgment, face punishment. That does not need to happen. And if you do one day find yourself in that situation, it will be because you've kept Jesus at arm's length and have not accepted his offer. Why die? It is a genuine question from God to you this afternoon. And my hope is that this Easter will be the one where you say, yeah, I'm going to do the 180. I would like to accept Jesus' offer of the swap and become a Christian. I'm going to briefly pray to God on our behalf. And then if you have questions, uh, you can fire them at me. Dear God, we do thank you that not only did you make us, but you also love us dearly. And we thank you so much for those great events of Easter. 
Holidays are nice and chocolate is yum, but we thank you so much for Jesus and his willingness to die in our place so that we could be set free, forgiven, and be friends with you again. That truly is bigger than the bunny, and we thank you for it very much. Amen. I do have one question that came in. Uh-huh. Great question. So if it was God's plan to have Jesus crucified, why would he send those who plot Jesus' death to hell? Ah, interesting. So if it was always God's plan for Jesus to actually be crucified, because that's how he's going to save the world, uh, why should those who plotted and committed this uh, execution, why should they go to hell? Wow, that's a good question. How am I going to answer that? The reality is, is that God made this world and is completely in charge of everything that goes on. The word the Bible would use is he's sovereign. Right? Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing takes him by surprise. He is actually completely in control. That does not mean, though, that any of us can go, hold on, I'm innocent of what I just did uh, because you're God and you're in charge, so somehow I can leave all this pain or hurt or whatever at your doorstep. Uh, we don't get to do that. We are still responsible for our actions. And so to think about that specific example, um, Pilate, when he has just said, this man is innocent, but then anyway just gives in to the crowd and hands him over for execution, he's guilty there, right? That's a, that's a real travesty. Justice is not served there. And God says, that's not cool. Even though it's God's plan that Jesus would die, Pilate is still held responsible. The Jewish leaders are still held responsible. And I'm sorry, friends, you and I, still held responsible. There's a stack more I could say there. So if that's your question and you want to talk, come and grab me afterwards. Got another one that came in just then. Okay. Um, is it not cowardice of conscience to give in to a shouting crowd and crucify Jesus when the law says he ought to go free? Yeah, I think it is cowardice. Absolutely. So the question was, isn't Pilate being a coward when he hands Jesus over? And yeah, I think he is. He's under enormous pressure. He's had many riots and he's been told by the people above him, one more riot and you're out of here, right? So he really wants to keep the peace. But yeah, it's cowardice. You tell me, I'm not looking at the time, so you tell me when we're out of time. If there's any other questions, I'm very happy to give it my best crack at an answer. Yes. Um, Yeah, so I didn't go into that, but you're quite right. So Pilate had this strange tradition that around this time every year, um, he would uh, grant amnesty. He would let one of the criminals, one of the prisoners go free. Why? I think it's Pilate, who's not Jewish, right? He's a Roman outsider. I think it's him trying to kind of butter the people up and have good relationships. And so he says, you know... I'll let someone go. It seems pretty weird to me letting a convicted murderer out. <laughs> and, you know, to Pilate's credit, he, he really actually wants to let Jesus go because he knows Jesus is innocent. Uh, but the crowd won't have it. And um, I don't think they particularly want Barabbas free, but they really do want Jesus dead. Um, so, yeah. Yeah.
We've got a few more, but let's do one more question. And, uh, really good one, so this is the last one we have. If you want to keep asking questions, feel free to talk to uh, Dan or any of us afterwards. Mm. So this question is, if God wants to forgive, why send Jesus to die and not just forgive? Okay, great question, whoever texted that in. If God really wants to forgive, why not just forgive? Yeah, sometimes people say that. I've heard a, a father, right, I'm a father, I've heard another father say, look, when my kids do something bad at home, they, they get their mum's lipstick and they draw all over the wall, right? Uh, you, yes, you're angry and you're upset, but at the end of the day, you just go, okay, I forgive you, right? And you move on. And the argument is, why can't God just do the same? If he loves us so much, why can't God just forgive? Okay, one reason is that the stuff we do is not just lipstick on the wall. Right? There's awful, awful stuff that goes on. And you just need to let your mind go for a wander, right? Child abuse, domestic violence, genocide. Those big things. But, but the stuff that's in our lives as well, maybe, uh, this is stuff that really matters. And it's not... I don't think it's fitting or just to just go, oh, whatever, you know. You executed a third of your population. <laughs> that's okay. Boys will be boys. Off you go. Uh, no, that's not okay. Um, and the, little, the, the illustration of the father and the child or mother and the child at home doesn't actually work, right? Because if my child grabs mum's lipstick and draws over the wall, yes, I might say, okay, right, I forgive you. But if I want to fix up the mess, if I want to fix that wall, I need to... Someone has to pay a cost still, right? I've got to go to Bunnings and buy paint and come back and waste my weekend trying to paint the wall and then I'm frustrated because the colours don't match. And da, 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 da. Right? But someone's got to pay. Either the kid's got to pay or I've got to pay, but someone has to pay. And it's the same here. God cannot just go, oh, whatever, I forgive you. Someone has to pay. And with the mess that's in your life, someone will. It'll either be you at the end. We call it hell. What Jesus is saying is, I'm happy to pick up that price. But you need to come to me. You need to follow me. And that's the heart of Easter. I'll leave it there. Thanks,